I want to talk a little bit about our church's mission for a, for a few moments. Because um, in, in some ways, I think uh, we, we often, often need to be reminded of why we do what we do. And, you know, a lot of churches, um, I, you know, I've been pastoring for, uh, I've been in pastoral ministry for like 25 years now. And so we served as, uh, as senior pastors at a church in northern Wisconsin for 12. And then we've been here for seven and a half and uh, I remember over the years, there like, was this period of time in the 2000s where like, if you wanted to sell a lot of books among pastors, write a book on mission, like what should be your mission statement. And so there are always different people talking about catchy slogans, and there are some really great slogans out there. And I remember when we first moved here, uh, you know, a little over seven years ago, we spent time with our, our leadership team and with, you know, people who are part of our church just asking the question of like, what is... What is God's mission for our church? Like, what does he want us to, to do? And I remember um, one afternoon, like, sitting on a whiteboard and just writing down all these really great sayings. And they were so slick. And they sounded really awesome. And then someone said, well, like, what is God's mission? And I was like, that's a really great question. And so we spent some time thinking and praying about that. And we were wrestling with whether or not we should spend time coming up with a really slick slogan of our mission or not. And we felt like the Holy Spirit said, no. The Red Bluff Vineyard's mission should be God's mission. So then that brought up a whole nother topic of like, well, what is God's mission? And we had this whiteboard with all these different really great things. And we spent time reading scripture. And then there were two, uh, two books that we read by this theologian, this biblical theologian called, uh, named Christopher Wright on the mission of God and the mission of the church. And after we read it, we came to the conclusion that when you look at Scripture and you think about what does the Bible say about our mission, like if we were going to summarize it, we came to the conclusion that the, that the mission of God was, was this, this idea of knowing Jesus and making him known. And one of the things that we, we saw in these books and, and more importantly in scripture was that, that God is eager to be known. Like God actually wants to be in relationship with people. And that was like mind blowing in some ways because I feel like sometimes, um, anybody in the room feel like, man, I mean, I know God loves all people, but certainly not little old me. You know, like, oh, I know God really cares about you, but I mean, he, he certainly can't be interested in my day-to-day life. And yet when we read scripture, we saw Jesus saying things like that God cares about when sparrows fall, right? And he he cares about these these things that we think are insignificant. We found that Jesus actually cares deeply about all of us. And so we spent a lot of time praying about that. And and so we came to this conclusion that, that our mission is really God's mission because as a church, we're called to carry on the ministry of Jesus. Jesus died nearly 2,000 years ago, and for some people, it's like the ministry of Jesus stopped at that point, but we believe that Jesus called the church to continue carrying out his works. We're continuing the ministry of Jesus, and that God's mission is to know, he wants us to know him and to make him known. And so, you know, we, we spent time um, talking about this, and it's always been kind of at the core of why we do what we do, and we always, as leadership, we always evaluate anything we do, is it going to help us accomplish our mission? And if it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's a bad idea, but it's not something that we're going to put a whole lot of energy and effort into. 
And, and this, I think, this mission is carried out in a number of, of ways. And two upcoming ways that I just want to mention quickly is the same thing that Don mentioned and Aaron mentioned is small groups. Small groups are a great place for you to be able to know Jesus and to help other people know Jesus. And then a second uh, way is we have a leadership development course that we're going to be starting in October. And we're going to be spending time for eight months on the second Sunday of every month. We're going to lean into that for two hours along with the Reading Vineyard. We're going to spend time developing. And part of that is to help us accomplish our goal of planting more churches. Because if we want to plant more churches, we have to have leaders to be able to do it, right? Right? Okay. So if we want to see multiplication happen in, in churches expand, we want to be able to pour into leaders. And so um, there's two signups in the back, and I, I really encourage you to think about that uh, in, in the next couple of, of weeks. But I want to take a moment and pray for these two areas of ministry, because I really do believe that they're vitally important for our, our health and our success. Like if we're trying to measure our church's um, success toward our mission, small groups and training up leaders and then sending them when they're called is really vital for that. So would you join me in praying? And I don't know, sometimes it's okay to stand, right? Do you want to stand with me in prayer just to stretch your legs a little bit? Because you're going to be here for about an hour and a half listening to me after this. <laughs> All right, so Father, would you... Would you breathe on, on these ministries? Lord, would you um, help us be able to carry out our mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known? Would you stir our hearts as individuals in a community to see how knowing you is the greatest thing that we can do? And that there's nobody in this room that has, has um, ascertained the highest level of spirituality where there is no more growth, but that we can grow and grow and grow. And then would you help us to, to, if you're calling us into leadership, to be willing to take that risk to go through that process or to help encourage and support those who are taking that risk. But Lord, we do pray for our community. We pray for Red Bluff. We want this community to know you and to, and to, and to lean into your kingdom we pray for all the churches, Lord, that, that are in our county and in this area, Lord. Bless them and help them continuing to carry out your mission of making disciples and, and serving people and, and loving people and helping reconnect people to God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, followers of Jesus are very diverse. And, you know, there's literally thousands and thousands and millions and millions of followers of Jesus all over the world who have come uh, through their lives to discover the transformative power of Jesus. I mean, I've had an opportunity to travel quite a bit, and I've seen followers of Jesus in Africa, in, in different countries in Africa, the continent, and then also in parts of Asia and uh, in South America, Central America, what we see is that there are people virtually all over the world who have come to know Jesus. I mean, even think about how there's these small um, islands in the middle of nowhere, yet hundreds of years ago, God stirred people's hearts to get on a boat and sail to those islands and share the message of Jesus and his gospel, the good news that Jesus was a, a 
perfect, um, perfectly um, non-sin, he didn't sin, he was sinless and he lived and he, he did all these amazing miraculous things and then he was crucified and then he was resurrected and they tell that story and people on these islands, like they hear the story and they, they buy in and, they, and the Holy Spirit opens their hearts and they become followers of Jesus and they begin to share that message with other people on that island and then they spread out to islands around it and there's like, it's just really amazing how there are millions and millions and millions of people all over the world who are following Jesus. And, and they're, they're diverse. And yet in addition to the fact that there's diverse people who follow Jesus, what I think is one of the most beautiful, fun things about, about being in church is that the way in which Jesus becomes a part of people's lives is also very, very diverse. And the stories that, that happen and the way that people grow in their relationship with God, they're all diverse. I mean, I think about like in this church right now, there's stay-at-home parents who over the course of some Bible study or somebody inviting you to coffee that you've, you've kind of been reading the Bible and you start to hear about these stories of Jesus and you're like, you know what, that, I want that and you come to faith. And there's other people who are, are you know, real estate agents or there's teachers or there's factory workers or there's all these different people in our church community that have unique stories and God is doing unique things and it's over the course of, of interacting and engaging with God that you, you take these steps of faith and you move closer and closer. Uh, because one of the things that I discovered early on in ministry and actually probably saved my soul was that discipleship is a process. And, and if we don't keep that in the forefront of our mind, it's really easy to get super Judge Judy on the people around us, right? It's like, oh man, you're not growing as fast as I did, you know? And, and yet what's cool is that in the same way that the kingdom is very diverse amongst people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, it's also diverse in the way that God's working in people's lives. And so one person you know, has the Holy Spirit convict them in their heart about one thing and the next person is struggling through another, but we're all hopefully moving in the same direction to more of Jesus, more of God's kingdom, more of us, of us um, worshiping him. And I've seen that you know, over and over again over the years. I mean, it's amazing to me that God saves people that we deem unsavable, you know? And I've shared many stories of these people who, who come to our church and, you know, like they're super scary looking and they got all the wrong tattoos <laughs> and they maybe are the gangbangers or whatever, and yet God opens up their heart and these hardened people become soft by the gospel. Like, I love that. That's why I'm in this. That is the paycheck, <laughs> right? Seeing that. And we all get to be a part of that. It's really, really, really beautiful. And, and so in the room right now, as I was just saying, there's people who have been following Jesus for longer than I've been born because I'm still young, okay? I'm just going to claim that, name it and claim it. Uh, but there's people who have been following Jesus for longer than I've been alive, and there are people who have started following Jesus in the last couple of years. And then there's people in this room right now who are not quite sure where they're at with Jesus and they're exploring that. And, and maybe they haven't yet decided to take the plunge, but all of your stories, every one of your stories are unique. And I truly believe that God is much more at work in your life than you may realize. One of the common discussions I have with people when they say, hey, Luke, I wanna meet, um, there's like five, but one of them most often is someone who says, I wanna meet, we get together for coffee and this is what they say. They say, I am really struggling in my faith. I just don't feel God's presence right now, and I don't feel like 
he's at work in my life, and I'm so hungry for God, but I don't think he's at work in my life. I mean, many of us have felt that way. I've felt that way. Anybody in the room willing to say, yeah, I felt that way? I mean, a lot of you are lying. <laughs> but it happens regularly, and this is one of the things I, I have like this, I should just record this and just push play. But this is, the rehear- this is my rehearsed response to that. The fact that you have a desire for more of God's presence in your life is, in fact, evidence that God is at work in your life. Because before God enters into your story and helps to awaken your heart, before the Holy Spirit begins to give you a hunger and a desire and a thirst for the kingdom of God, you are unable to do that in and of yourself. It's got to be the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm like, congratulations, God is at work in your heart. (laughs) The fact that you want more of him is evidence of God's kingdom at work. And you know what? We're going to pray for you to be able to discern what God is doing around your life. And then after some prayer, maybe attenting, being more attentive to what God is doing, they're like, oh my gosh, God's been at work for a while. And I'm like, yeah, that's the whole point. God is at work in our lives far more than we may realize. And so this month, we started off with this new sermon series um, about faith being more than a hobby. And In a moment, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that helps us understand a crucial part of discipleship. It's this idea of being formed and shaped into the image of Jesus. But before we do that, I want us to consider something really quickly, okay? I'm convinced that everything in the world that we live in, the world that we live in, everything that we are being bombarded with is essentially shaping us to be selfish people, okay? Just think about that. Like, everything... This is what marketing people do. They spend time thinking about ways to trigger you to do what? To be impulsive, to buy something that will make you feel better. Social media is being curated. We all know that now, correct? (laughs) Like, it's being curated to tell you that you are the best because it's all about me. Just like we just sang, right? I mean, it's crazy. Like, social media, advertising, business focuses, all these things are about you having it your way as fast as humanly possible. So what's happening is we're all being shaped and formed to be little narcissists, aren't we? (laughs) Right? I mean, can we be honest to acknowledge that this is happening? And we got to fight it, right? Because everything around us is saying, yeah, it is all about you. (laughs) It is about your needs and what you can get. And, And it's like... It's happening from a young age, and it's working its way up, where we're, we're constantly being influenced in this way of thinking. And so this is having, I think, negative consequences for the church, for the kingdom, and for the mission of God. Here's why. Because I think there's two things that are naturally byproducts of this shaping and this forming that's happening. And the first thing is this. We are being turned into consumers. We're being turned into consumers. We constantly are thinking about how we and what we can get. And it's, it's the way that we frame our, our thinking. And in the history of our country, that's been something we've faced for a long time. I mean, how many of you remember when you were about 45 years old, JFK had this famous saying where he said, ask not what the country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country, right? How many of you heard about that, though? Because <laughs> you're so young. <laughs> Right? But that was a problem back then, right? JFK tapped into this idea that a lot of people think about everything being for us, and it's how we can consume things. And so one negative drawback to this, to this, 
to this consumerism is that we become more consumeristic. And the second thing is that we have an unwillingness to commit to things that take us giving up or surrendering or being all in. And so these things are having radical challenges, I think, for the church. And in some ways, I think living in this way, it it flows out of, though, and it actually creates this hobbyist approach to the kingdom of God, where it's like, you know what? The Jesus thing's really great. It's a great hobby. I do it on the weekends when I'm not gone. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) I'm talking about all of us, too. Like, my faith life was radically challenged when I was about 19 years old because I grew up in church and I was like, yeah, I know all the right things to say. I can talk about Jesus all day long. I know the Bible. But like, it was totally a hobby. And I had a, had a mentor in my life who challenged me. And he said, you know, the thing about following Jesus is Jesus is constantly calling us to surrender everything to him. And it was like, ouch, I'm not ready to do that yet. But really the goal, the goal for us to, to get to the point where when we When we look at our lives, we don't have areas of our life where we put no trespassing signs on. We get to the point where we say, Jesus, you can have it all. And I want to go back to what I said. I know it's a a process for all of us, some of us at different places, but we need to be clear of what the goal is. The goal is surrendering to Jesus, right? Because he's worth it. He's worth it. So I want to look at a passage of scripture. And and we're going to read Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to read this out loud, and just listen to these words. Luke writes this. He says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deep and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boats And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. Listen to that again. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And, and it's interesting because this is yet another miracle that Jesus does. And, and if you've read the Gospels, you know, everywhere in the Gospels, Jesus is constantly, he's constantly healing people. He's delivering people from demonic oppression or he's jacking up the Pharisees, <laughs> right? He's just like calling them out, you know, he's like, listen, you morons. And, and it's interesting because this is just another one of those miracles. And, and it's like Simon Peter in this text, it's like he, know, he realized, he's like, Jesus knows things. He knows things. He, he's able to do things that are absolutely amazing. Uh, this really great biblical scholar, Daryl Box, says this about this verse. He says, a genuine meeting with Jesus alters one's perspective. An encounter with God's power is no reason to draw back from him but an opportunity to approach him on the right basis in faith and dependence. 
in catching fish, Jesus has caught Simon Peter. Isn't that great? So when Simon Peter, um, you know, basically is, is out there, remember how Jesus is like, hey, go fish over there, and Simon Peter's like, come on, Jesus, I'm a professional. Like, I've been out here all night. There's no fish out there. And then it happens, he has this, he has this encounter with Jesus by the sea, and it changes everything. And, he, and his first thing is he, when he begins to see Jesus for who he is, he also becomes painfully aware of his brokenness. And that, I think, is the common thing. When we begin to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us, the natural reaction is for us to begin to be aware of our need. You know, I remember years, years ago, it was like 23, 24 years old, and my faith was growing, and I was at this worship gathering and singing, and it was one of the most remarkable things. There was like literally just 10 or 12 of us in this room. And we were singing these songs, and all of a sudden we became, everybody became painfully, I mean, truly painfully aware of God's presence to, to the point where we were unable to stand. It, like, it felt disrespectful and dishonoring to stand. And so when God's presence came near, we were, we were, we were keenly aware of God's holiness. And that's what regularly happens when we interface with Jesus is that he helps reveal to us who we are, even in our brokenness, and he calls us to be healed and restored and to become transformed so we can become more like him. And that's the whole point of the Gospels. We see it over and over again. And so Simon Peter has this encounter and he understands his sinfulness, but then what happens is Simon Peter is invited by Jesus to enter into God's story and to join Jesus' mission. He says, you know what? You are now going to be a fisher of people. A fisher of people. And I, I think there's a lot we can learn about this. Some of you are thinking this is just about fishing, and that's just another excuse for you to talk about fishing, and you're right, it is. Okay? But like when we go fishing... You know, no matter what, what technique you use, you change your baits or your flies or your lures based off of what? The fish, right? And it's the same thing with people, right? Some people respond to, like when we first moved here, I just want to let you know, when I was in Wisconsin and we were being called to California, we thought y'all were crazy. We're like, this is only because the Lord's calling us. Those liberals out there are going to be a little wacky. And we're going to have to be really intentional to like, win all those atheists and agnostics and red bluff to the, to the Lord. And then we got here and we found out that that's not at all accurate about Northern California, right? Jefferson State, whatever you want to call it. And all I know is that I'd walk up to people and I'd be like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. And I'd be thinking about a way to like get them in. And I would invite them to church. They're like, oh, okay, I'll go. And I was like, you will? Like, that's as simple as it is. It's just inviting you. What is going on here? These liberals know about Jesus. <laughs> right? But, but my point is that some people, it's as simple as a church invite. For other people, it's a, it's a lot more complicated. It's a bunch of different discussions over coffee where you wrestle with these challenging questions like, how can a loving God allow human suffering? Or how do we know that the Bible is true? I mean, whatever it is. And so that's kind of a helpful thing about this passage for us is if we're going to be fishers of people, we got to be intentional about the way that we fish. Amen? So there's a lot here. 
But the greatest key we can have toward following Jesus and what it actually means to be a disciple, because that's the calling, folks. Jesus said that the Great Commission, he said in Matthew 28, that he has called us to make disciples of all nations who are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and who obey Jesus' commands. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what we're called to be, and that's what we're called to make. The greatest key to what it means to be a disciple is found in verse 11. Listen to what what we read. After all this story, it says, as soon as they landed, they've just caught as many fishes as humanly possible. If you are in the fishing economic situation, you are rich, okay? They just had that happen. It says, as soon as they landed, they left everything that followed Jesus. (laughs) They left everything and they followed Jesus, they gave up their, their, their win. <laughs> they gave it up. They surrendered it. They sacrificed it, and they followed Jesus. And here's the thing about the gospel of Luke. Luke, all over, brilliant writer, great name. Luke, all over the gospel, is constantly trying to help people understand what it means to be a disciple. He leaves these little clues. And so this concept of following Jesus, this idea of being a disciple, anytime he mentions that, he's helping you and I understand what it looks like. And so following Jesus means we say, Jesus, you are Lord, no more, no trespassing signs. Whatever you want is yours. We give up whatever we need to give up in order to follow him. Amen? Amen. And it's like, it's crazy. Now here's the thing. Not everybody here is called to be a pastor. I am very much aware of that. When I first became a pastor, this older pastor walked up to me and said, I'm going to save you a lot of heartache here. And I was like, all right, got my notebook out. (laughs) What is it going to save me? He's like, you got to understand, no one's ever going to be as passionate about any of these things as you. (laughs) And I was like, what? How dare you blow my mind? And here's the reality. I mean this in, in truth. Like, not everybody's called to be a pastor here. Just like not everybody's called to be a teacher or, or a factory worker or whatever. I think the whole goal is for all of us to discern God's call in our life, right, whatever it is, and to do it to the best of our ability and honor God. That's it. Like, the, the church would be, could you imagine if we had 250 pastors in this room right now? First of all, y'all would be judging every sermon I ever gave. You did not exegete the Greek text properly. <laughs> like, it would be a disaster. What we need to be to be a healthy church is people from every walk of life actively engaged in God's mission of doing the stuff, right? Amen? Amen. That's the goal, right? And so we have Jesus here. He, he's calling us to a deeper understanding of, I think, I think discipleship, because not everyone's called to be a pastor, but everyone is called to surrender all to Jesus. And this is what it means to be more than a hobbyist when it comes to our spiritual lives. Let's go ahead and stand up. Here is my big idea. If you're wondering, well, what is that sermon about? (laughs) We give up all. We give up all to follow the one who has all. We give up all to follow the one who has all. We surrender all in order to gain that which can't be taken away. Eternity with God and those we bring with us.